got explosion, structures on fire, and uh, we're taking refuge in our vehicle. This is episode 68. On November 8th, uh, I remember uh, probably uh, naively thinking that if we could just get through that day alive, we were going to be okay. Responding to Paradise 8332. The campfire literally changed our entire world here in New County. It impacted every single member of our community. It's been one year since California's most destructive wildfire erupted and ripped through parts of Butte County. It wiped out the town of Paradise, killing 85 people in the process. High winds drove this fire like a stampede of wild horses over a field of delicate daisies. The campfire, it, it was in many respects kind of an indescribable event uh, from a public safety professional standpoint. In a matter of hours, first responders knew they were outmatched. And by the time the final embers fizzled out, a kind of shell shock had already taken hold in this relatively small community. Nowadays, it's called post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. I certainly see evidence of that, not only in the community, but also within the first responder community uh, who had to deal with it. In this episode of All Hazards, we sit down with Butte County Sheriff Corey Honey just short of one year after our first conversation with him. We find out what kind of changes he's seen and learn how the slow process of rebuilding and recovery are going. That includes his first responder community, which is still struggling with its own recovery. I'm concerned that if we don't take very proactive steps to address that trauma, that those first responders won't be able to continue to do the very valuable work that they do. All that and more on this upcoming one-year anniversary of the campfire, right now. Sheriff Pony, thanks for uh, sitting down with me yet again. Uh, about a year ago, not quite a year ago, uh, we sat down and you were about uh, three weeks into the campfire. Uh, needless to say, you had a lot going on at that time. Uh, November 2018, that was, to be honest, one hell of a month, and it's been one hell of a year since, I would assume. Tell me about that month of November uh, a year ago and really what it was you faced at that time, probably something the likes that you had never seen before as a law enforcement officer. How did it go back then? Well, um, you know, it's interesting that, that question as I think back um, – the month of November was a complete blur. Uh, for that matter, this past year, I think, has been a complete blur. Um, I've had a lot of time to reflect upon the campfire, and I'm not done reflecting upon it. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us are. Um, it's interesting. People will often uh, come up and, and say things like, uh, you know, are things getting back to normal, or uh, are things slowing down for you? And... Uh, uh, my response often is, no, things are not back to normal uh, and things haven't slowed down. Um, the campfire literally changed our entire world here in Butte County. It impacted every single member of our community and certainly impacted uh, all of the first responders, not only from Butte County, but also from all of the agencies who sent uh, mutual aid. Um, I think that uh, when I look back uh, at the over the course of the last year, um, what I've, I think, come to understand, uh, although the lessons learned from that understanding and how we move forward is still an evolving process, 
but you're right about uh, you know the campfire. It, it was in many respects kind of an indescribable event uh, from a public safety professional standpoint. It was certainly unprecedented, nothing that we had ever dealt with before. And I would dare say um, very, very few communities have had to deal with something on the magnitude of the campfire. Uh, as you know, uh, to date, it stands as the most destructive fire in the history of the state of California and regrettably the deadliest fire in the history of the state of California. And it's my sincere hope that that record is not broken by any other uh, event because I wouldn't want any other community to have to go through that. Um, what is interesting to me is that um, on November 8th, uh, I remember uh, probably uh, naively thinking that if we could just get through that day alive, we were going to be okay. And that was probably a bit of a self-defense mechanism, uh, just trying to deal with the, the gravity of the situation. As it turned out, um, we're still not okay. Uh, we're, we're moving forward. Um, there's a lot of rough road ahead of us, I think, in terms of recovery. Um, but in many respects, uh, the days continue to get worse and worse and worse uh, uh, following uh, November 8th, and we're still moving through that. So over the last year, you're saying that things have gotten worse and worse and worse, or was it just that initially, that initial <clears throat> few months? Well, it's interesting. And in... in in some respects, and I can certainly see progress towards recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, it is slow, it's incremental. Um, but what the campfire brought to us was a whole host of unanticipated consequences, things that you would never uh, think would be impacted by uh, you know, a catastrophic event like that have, Such as. have been impacted. And uh -huh. so, okay. you know, it's an impact on the community. It's impact on our agency. Um, the recovery process still goes on. Um, from the community standpoint, you have the debris removal. We've moved from uh, that to now dealing with all of the trees that were damaged during the fire that, that will continue to pre create a public safety threat if we, um, if we don't deal with them. Um, all of the uh, uh, discussion and effort to uh, talk about rebuilding and what that looks like and how that transpires. Um, and then even beyond that, just the, the emotional impact, uh, the trauma that was visited upon the members of our community, uh, I, I'm starting to see that manifest itself. Uh, and also within our first responders, uh, that event has taken a significant toll on everybody, and again, including the first responders who were there. You said it, it had an impact on, on your department. Uh, are you seeing the manifestation in the people that you interact with out, out in public, uh, maybe uh, sort of the post-traumatic stress that has impacted and, and maybe you're making more more calls, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm, yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I'm not a I'm not a mental health uh, clinician, so right. I'm you know reluctant to diagnose anybody with post traumatic stress. But right. that said, um, uh, my uh, layman understanding of uh, that particular condition, uh, I certainly see evidence of that not only in the community but also within uh, the first responder uh, community uh, who had to deal with it. Um, certainly, we are having. Um, uh, you know, more and more calls for service dealing with people who 
uh, are uh, you know uh, dealing with the uh, the fallout of the campfire. The frustration level has increased. Uh, we're getting um, you know significant number of welfare checks and and people are dealing with those the the issues that are associated with it. But even within the first responder community, I, mean, I just uh, I'm proud of the uh, the work that our first responders did. I think that there was some incredibly hor- hor- horrific uh, uh, circumstances they had to deal with, but they dealt with it uh, in a professional and heroic manner. Um, but uh, it certainly has taken a toll, and I, I've seen um, over the course of time, um, as we have moved deeper and deeper into the recovery process, um, those feelings start to come up, those issues start to come up, and uh, um, we're just now at the year anniversary mark uh, starting to um, have enough capacity to process what we had to go through and what we ultimately had to deal with. When you say you've had more calls for service, um, welfare checks, that kind of a thing, are you seeing the impact of this fire as a result directly? So it's interesting because there there are a lot of calls now that um, reference the campfire, and it's not uncommon for for us to receive calls from individuals who will identify themselves as survivors of the campfire. Oh. And um, are they putting the blame directly, you know, for their situation directly on the campfire? So in many cases, yeah, there is a correlation okay. uh, b- between uh, whatever they're calling about and that particular event. And uh, it could be as, you know, direct as, for example, you know, someone perhaps is, you know, they were the victim of looting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we certainly dealt with that in the early stages of the event. But then moving forward, you have, uh, you know, scenarios like, you um, um, you know, the cleanup crews are uh, in the area, and uh, um, we had uh, to deal with individuals who were unhappy about them being in the area, uh, and we needed to go up uh, to those locations and try to make it safe for the workers to do the cleanup, but ultimately deal with the individuals who were uh, upset by the virtue of the fact that they were there. When All Hazards continues, we find out how Sheriff Honey is feeling the effects of the fire. Since the campfire, uh, I haven't slept well. Uh, I wake up most nights at 3 a.m. And how that has crystallized what's really important in the overall recovery of his first responder community. Of course, it's never too early to take a look ahead to the next local disaster. Members of the community have got to be part of the solution. So there's no way that you can expect federal, state, or local officials to tailor an evacuation plan or a safety plan for every single individual with their varied needs. He's become an even more outspoken evangelist for the family emergency plan and practice. Back to our conversation with Butte County Sheriff Corey Honey. For my office, being the coroner's office, we were primarily responsible for the search of mm-hmm. some 18,000 locations for uh, human remains. Um, and as a result of that, my staff, supported by mutual aid from throughout the state of California, uh, we're directly responsible for the recovery of some 85 individuals. Um, and that is a process that we have had to continue to deal with uh, even till, uh, even currently. Um, we have one individual that still remains unidentified, and we're working to try to identify him. The gravity of the situation certainly was not lost upon anybody who was there. They all understood that, you know, we were, we were looking for the remains of human beings, uh, members of our community um, who had, you know, 
were lost tragically. Uh, it definitely was difficult work. It was grim work, and uh, it has taken a toll and will continue to take a toll um, over uh, on our people. That's one of the areas that I'm now really working to try to address in, in the ongoing health and wellness of our first responders in Butte County in the, uh, in the aftermath of the campfire uh, has become a central um, issue for me, something I'm really working towards trying to address. I'm concerned that if we don't take very proactive steps to address that trauma, that those first responders won't be able to continue to do the very valuable work that they do. And if we don't have those seasoned, qualified professionals protecting the citizens of Butte County, then public safety is jeopardized. In what way have you seen these? And I'm going to, even though I'm a layman as well, I'm going to continue to use uh, PTSD only because that to me right now is the it seems to be the most accurate way of describing this. <laughs> yeah. But in what way have you seen this PTSD manifest itself in your your team, the other first responder community? Uh, have they taken a, you know a lot of time off? Have many of them quit? That kind of thing. Yeah. What have you seen? So I think a couple of issues uh, are starting to come up. You know, certainly one I, I I do see more frequently now than I did before. Uh, you know, people uh, exhibiting signs of uh, you know what is traditionally called PTSD, uh, uh, um, stress, stress, mm-hmm. uh, you know, depression. Um, yeah. you know, and, and I'll be honest and candid about this. I mean, I, uh, um, since the campfire, uh, I haven't slept well. Uh, I wake up most nights at 3 AM, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, you know, kind of lay awake for several hours thinking about all kinds of things. But, uh, among them, of course, are, you know, uh, you know, what, what transpired and, you know, what our response was and what our response, you know, could have been and, you know, what we have to do moving forward and, you know, worrying about not only the community uh, and how it's going to recover, but also, you know, members of my department and other members of, of the, the first responder community and whether or not we're going to be, uh, you know, able to carry on and, and effectively commu- uh, protect our community. Those are all things that uh, I didn't wake up and worry about prior to the campfire. Um, when I talk to my staff, those are not, that's not uncommon. That, you know, trouble sleeping. Um, we have had a, a, a good number of our uh, people uh, leave the department. Some lost their homes and and uh, um, made a decision to relocate to some other uh, part of the country. The campfire had such an impact on them; it really took a toll on them that they opted to move up their retirement plans and and. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, leave the business. Um, and they've candidly told me that, but for the traumatic experience, they probably would have stayed on and, and right. worked longer. Right. So as you mill around and you talk to uh, members of the community, uh, you go and you speak to them, um, you meet with them one-on-one in small groups. What are you seeing in terms of the spirit, the spirit of your community? So uh, it's... That's a great question. Um, I think I think we're very blessed here in Butte County. Uh, we have great community um, spirit. Um, there is a resiliency uh, that I see, um, but uh, resiliency doesn't always mean that um, 
when you say how, how things are going, the mm. response is everything's going great. We're moving forward. It's right. all good. Yeah. Uh, the, the road to recovery uh, has its ups and downs, definitely. Yeah. And um, I certainly see that uh, in talking with people. It's not uncommon for us to have conversations. It's funny you, you, you asked this. I was shopping in Rayleigh's last night mm. and uh, uh, a couple who lost their home in the campfire recognized me and stopped and talked about it. And we probably talked for 10 minutes and they talked about their experiences that day and, and kind of what they're, what they're doing moving forward. Um, it, was, it was certainly a positive uh, conversation, um, but it has those elements of, of grief and um, you know, uh, inspiration all rolled up into one, if you will. Yeah, I bet. It seems like because you are the, the you're the sheriff, you're also the the face uh, of the community. Literally, in terms of being on the media, you were the spokesperson for this community, uh, almost primarily. There were some others, but you, know, you were out there, and you seem to take it in stride. How has that? relationship with the media, that that demand from the media affected you, and what are you doing now? Another great question. Uh, so uh, obviously, uh, that was not a role that I wished to have, but it was something that uh, needed to be done, and um, mm -hmm. I did the best I could under those circumstances. I've had a lot of uh, people in the community uh, over the course of the last year uh, talk about um, those Presentations that were done uh, during the uh, during the campfire, and then you know the the ones that followed uh, during the recovery process, um, and I've had a lot of really positive support from members of the community talking about they appreciate how they appreciated um, the uh, the way I provided information and updates. Um, since then, uh, I have worked hard to be responsive to. Um, media requests, particularly local media requests, because uh, uh, our local media has stayed with the story and, and followed it. Um, one of the things that has transpired as a result of that is uh, just an incredibly high number of individuals coming forward wanting to do documentaries or uh, write books or you know produce films and things of that nature. And... Uh, where I think that the information um, that I could provide would help future emergency responses or better prepare other communities or my community, um, I'm willing to accommodate those. Mm -hmm. But there are others that seem as though they are just trying to uh, capitalize on a tragic event. Uh, I call those infotainment uh, uh, opportunities, and, mm -hmm. and I am less inclined to participate in those, uh, especially as time goes on. Um, as we draw closer and closer to the one-year anniversary, um, I've been very selective about the um, media that I've done. I've certainly continued to work with our local media, and, and you know, doing this podcast for Cal OES, Cal OES I think, is important. Uh, because of uh, your statewide work in emergency preparedness, emergency response, uh, to the degree that other communities can uh, benefit from uh, our experience, I wanted to participate in that. Well, and we appreciate it. I know that you know local media obviously is important because they get the important messages out to your community. 
uh, here at Cal OES, uh, the, one of the purposes of this podcast is to relay um, information, lessons learned, experiences, that kind of thing to other emergency managers, emergency industry personnel. And I think that's a good time now to sort of segue into that. We'll continue our chat with Sheriff Honey in just a moment. On the way, how do you cope and react effectively when you as a first responder realize you're facing a fire that has you beat in just the first few hours? The campfire was the kind of event that immediately outpaced all of our public safety resources. Sheriff Honey will tell you what it took him. And with debris removal complete and rebuilding well underway, what's recovery and the future look like for Paradise and other towns devastated by the campfire? Back to the conversation. Earlier you said you believe that you are still processing the lessons learned. In fact, a lot of this keeps you awake at night. Um, getting less sleep. Uh As of right now, what do you think, what do you see as some of the the biggest things that you've learned coming out of this? As someone who's had to manage the law enforcement side and quite honestly, some of the political stuff that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. What have you learned from all that? And I understood that you still have lessons that you're figuring out, but what have you learned so far? Uh, So I think one of the, 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 the chief or primary lessons that I've really begin to focus on um, goes uh, hand in hand with my new mission of uh, wherever possible preaching the the gospel of preparedness. Mm-hmm. Um, what and, and and even going back to the Orville Dam spillway incident and then subsequently, you know, the campfire. Uh, what I really came to understand is that. You know, as public safety professionals, um, uh, it, you know, certainly it's important for us to uh, to plan and train um, and try to work with our community to uh, respond effectively to emergency situations um, and potentially, you know, catastrophic events. But it became clear to me in the campfire that um, no matter what level of pre-planning you have, uh, it has to be a collaborative effort between emergency personnel, public safety professionals, and the community itself. The campfire was the kind of event that immediately outpaced all of our public safety resources. And, it, and, and as a result of that, um, you know, we had to really uh, be nimble in terms of our approach and our decision-making and, and um, uh, you know, develop some, uh, if you will, outside the box kind of approaches to managing uh, that uh, that fire as it just raged through uh, those communities. So being flexible and and just trying to stay as open minded as possible. Yeah, but beyond that, members of the community have got to be part of the solution. And so, California, uh, I don't care where you live in California, for that matter, it's probably true of any part of the country. Um, you there is the potential for some catastrophic event, be it wildfire or flooding or earthquake or any number of other potential disasters. As a member of the community, you don't have the luxury of just relying upon your emergency services to take care of everything and then decide whether or not you're going to follow their direction when the crisis is upon you. The fact of the matter is you have to be part of the solution well in advance of the actual 
crisis. What I constantly tell people is, you know, the best person to develop an evacuation plan for you or uh, a safety plan for you is you. There's no way that you can expect federal, state, or local officials to tailor an evacuation plan or a safety plan for every single individual with their varied needs. Right. And um, that includes not only understanding how uh, you're going to get information uh, about what could be transpiring, paying attention um, to uh, your environment and what threats could be there, but also what you're going to do well in advance of an order to evacuate. Um, you know, what are the routes that you can use to get out of your home? By way of example, um, it's not uncommon for people to go, you know, Sheriff, what are the designated routes that uh, we're going to use for evacuation and wildfire? And the answer is, well, we're going to suggest or plan to use a potential route, but what we found is that that route could be overrun by fire or it could be closed off by traffic. And so you need to understand if you're living in a particular neighborhood or community, what are the alternate routes in which you could, you could get out? I've heard this a lot where people say, well, there's only one way in, there's one way out. Um, and I, uh, when I hear that, I think back to a story that I was told by uh, a man who lived up in paradise. And uh, what he told me is on the day of the campfire, as he pulled out of his driveway into the street, there was no, the, the traffic was just backed up. And uh, you, you couldn't even get anywhere on the roadway, the designated evacuation route. But he was familiar enough with his neighborhood to know that the bike path that led um, uh, near his home uh, was actually an old railroad bed that led from Paradise to Chico. And so he turned onto the bike path and led a whole group of people down the bike path to wow. Chico. Smart. It is smart. And it's... It illustrates the fact that he knew his community, he knew his neighborhood, uh, and he made a decision to utilize an alternate route out. Again, he was in the best position to come up with that. There was no way that that we could have pre-planned that kind of thing or, or uh, you know, looked at it. So um, I go back to this whole point of you know, y- you need to be paying attention to what's going on. You need to know what you're going to take uh, when when it comes time to evacuate. If you if there are, you know issues with you know access and functional needs, um, there there needs to be a plan in place to deal with that early, before the uh, before the warning is uh, is um, given. And then when uh, when the time to go is announced, then go. Don't wait back. Don't say, "Well, I've been through this before. I don't have to deal with it." All of that being the case, um, the other piece of this is that I think we all have to come to realize that there are no guarantees in a situation like this. Uh, It's about managing risk. And what we found is that uh, even with the best plans, even with um, uh, uh, extraordinary efforts to get everybody out, uh, the fact of the matter is you could find yourself in a position where there is no way out. There's mm-hmm. the evacuation routes are overrun by fire or flood or they're damaged by earthquake, and in those those cases, you need to think about how you're going to shelter in place. Where are those places that you can go to increase your chances of survival? Coming up in our final segment, a key question county and town leaders are asking in this the first year of recovery: How do we rebuild 
in a way that increases our chances of getting out safely or surviving within uh, an impacted area. Let's get back to it. Do you think about the things you did right? Um, well, I think, I think there were a lot of things done well. Uh, there were a lot of efforts, not only in terms of pre-planning, but also in terms of uh, on-the-spot decision-making that, that went very, very well. Um, were there parts of the community plan that worked the way it was supposed to? Yeah, so, and I want to I wanna, I wanna be clear, uh, some of the really great planning was done by my predecessors. So, you know, I can't take credit for that. But, there was but, a plan in place. Yeah, there was, yeah. And so one of them, for example, the, in, in terms of the, the campfire, uh, many, many years before, uh, those who came before, uh, those of us who are currently, uh, you know, leading uh, public safety organizations, advocated for and, and found a way to pave the roadway uh, up through Inskip, over to Butte Meadows. Uh, prior to that being paved, it was a dirt logging road. And there was always a realization that at some point there might need to be an alternate way to evacuate uh, up and out of Paradise Megalia. And that road way became an instrumental part of the evacuation on the, on the day of the campfire. Uh, it absolutely uh, saved lives. It was, it was a very, very uh, positive thing. The other thing too is, you know, um, there, was a, there had been a plan developed to turn Skyway into ContraFlow. And the community had actually practiced that uh, about a year and a half, two years prior to the campfire. What was interesting is, is that they contemplated utilizing ContraFlow on the Skyway and evacuating uh, the town incrementally in zones. From an infrastructure standpoint, uh, when you try to evacuate everybody at the same time, uh, I don't think there's any way to um, avoid congestion and gridlock. Um, but the pre-planning, um, the fact that the concept had been introduced to the community um, um, was important, and it laid the groundwork for the decisions that got made that day, and ultimately ContraFlow uh, on not only Skyway, but on the other roads leading out of Paradise uh, was an uh, important part of our evacuation process. What would you like to see changed? Or maybe what have you argued for in terms of change since this whole thing took place? So I have to go back to, I mean, you can, and certainly, you know, we will look at our response and and certainly um, adjust it and work to enhance and improve it um, in everything from alert and warning to, um, you know, evacuation of the um, the impacted area to what we do with the evacuees and how we accommodate them once they've been evacuated, long-term sheltering issues, uh, how we handle repopulation, all of that, uh, there, there's all lessons to be learned and we're certainly working to implement them. But, but I have to go back to the central point, which is members of the community have to be part of the equation in a really meaningful and robust way. We don't have the luxury of just relying upon a select group of public safety professionals to ensure that everything is gonna be okay when a crisis occurs. The fact of the matter is, there is a level of personal responsibility that um, is required if you wanna increase your chances of surviving something um, on the magnitude of the campfire. Are these communities starting to get that? So we've been, I, I've been speaking a lot about that. Every I time bet. I go out into community events and organizations, that's something that we speak a lot about. Uh, I have seen here in Butte County uh, uh, certain 
increase in the uh, interest from community organizations like Neighborhood Watch and Fire Safe Councils. Uh, they they are hearing that message, and uh, there's some really great things going on uh, at the community level to help with that. Uh, for example, uh, I have one Neighborhood Watch uh, group here that lives in the Foothill uh, community. They were impacted by the wall fire, which was a fire that occurred right after the spillway incident and before the campfire. And uh, they, they've recognized that... Uh, the inherent difficulties in alert and warning, especially uh, in scenarios where you're dealing with a uh, public safety power shutoff. Uh, and the concern that uh, they wouldn't have power to their homes, uh, which might impair their ability to receive telephone messages or charge their cell phones to receive cell phone messages. And so to that end, they've actually uh, worked to develop um, a... Um, uh, kind of a community uh, radio program where uh, they're working in conjunction with ham radio operators to uh, 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 pay attention to what's going on, especially in, in times of uh, heightened alert, and then communicate that information to the members of their community through their radio network. Uh, and they've been very good about uh, coordinating that with my office. So I think that's an illustration of uh, community proactively taking responsibility for their own security and own safety and try to improve it. In addition to that, I've been asked to come to other counties in Northern California and talk about our experiences. So this is certainly something that is on uh, on everybody's radar. Uh, and I know that uh, you know the governor's office and, and OES uh, has been doing a lot of work to try to um, get people to understand the importance of preparedness. Um, but that preparedness, in my view, has to include not only uh, how you get information and paying attention to that and what you're going to do in response to that information, be it getting out of harm's way early or f improving your odds of surviving if you can't. So looking forward to the next six months, what do you see as a priority? It's an interesting question. And, and certainly a lot of the work that we're doing around capitalizing upon lessons learned and implementing updated protocols to improve response is something that is important to us. On the community side, we're still relatively early in the recovery process. We'd all love to go back to November 7th, right? Mm -hmm. The way it was on November 7th. Um, and there's a desire to rebuild everything as quickly as possible. But along with that, there is a discussion around how do we rebuild in a way that increases our chances of getting out safely or surviving within uh, an impacted area if that's not possible. Uh, mitigating that risk. Um, and that can take time, right, to really fully understand that. What I'm encouraged by is that there's more of an emphasis on that particular aspect of planning than perhaps what has traditionally been the case. What better time to make that a point than right now? Absolutely. You know, um, is there anything that, that you want to talk about, something that you haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Dealing with the, the trauma that has been visited upon uh, our first responders and public safety community. Um, that's something that I'm gonna really be focusing on in the next six months. Um, I think it's critical that we, um, one, understand the impact of an event like the campfire in terms of the trauma that it visited upon not only the community, but our first responders. Uh, I think a lot of work needs to be done in terms of destigmatizing um, um, the the emotional impact, and then uh, finding ways to move forward 
uh, deal with it effectively, mitigate those impacts. My fear is that if we don't do that, uh, we're going to lose a whole generation of first responders here in Butte County, either through you know illness or exposure to other kinds of injury or just a desire to, to, to go and do something different. And if I don't have those first responders uh, working in this community, then again, public safety is jeopardized. It would be so unfortunate too for those folks who could really use the counseling and uh, and not take advantage of it, and then feel the lingering effects years down the line. You're you're, tr- you're absolutely right about that, and, and and one of the facts that's not lost on me with regard to this, and why this has taken on such a, um, why why this has become so significant to me is, you know, the the suicide rate among first responders is ten percent higher than that of the general population, and mm. so. Um, we already are in a system where we haven't been good about dealing with uh, the uh, trauma or emotional trauma visited upon first responders as a result of their you know day-to-day jobs, right? That cumulative stress. And when you add on top of that a catastrophic event like the campfire, uh, the fear that I have is that if we don't find uh, appropriate ways to mitigate that, that um, we will contribute to individuals exiting the career field or perhaps suffering the effects of it to the point where, you know, they may opt to take their life. And that would be, you know, a very tragic situation. So if I can do something now to perhaps prevent that, I want to do that. So what have you done then to help you and your family get back to some kind of normal life? Some November 7 life is yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I think, first off, I think I've, I've come to the realization that I probably will never, will, will probably never get back to November 7th. No. Yeah. Um, but within the sheriff's office, um, uh, we have started a health and wellness uh, working group comprised mm-hmm. of members of the department as well as their family members. Good. Uh, there are a number of initiatives that we're pursuing. Um, uh, one of them is the development of a wellness app that we're going to make available to uh, all of our staff as well as law enforcement uh, staff members of the other agencies in Butte County and their family members. It has a whole host of resources uh, available to them to help deal with the issues we talked about. Um, I have sought and uh, been able to obtain funding uh, to bring in mental health uh, professionals that can provide training and education and counseling, uh, which I think is going to be really beneficial. Uh, And then moving forward, uh, we're looking at other initiatives that uh, promote general wellness, not only in terms of mental health issues, but also physical wellness, because we think that there is a uh, direct correlation between those two things. Do you find yourself stopping to smell the roses a little bit more often? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will tell you that what... uh, 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 Physical activity helps me manage stress. And so uh, I uh, jealously guard my workouts each day in terms of uh, interruption. The the one time that I don't have a cell phone either in my pocket or in my hand and uh, directly available to uh, respond to whatever emergency might arise is uh, during that hour uh, of each day when I'm actually working out. Good, good. So what do you bench? Yep, exercise is a great way to help manage stress, so I wonder if any of the gyms in Butte County have seen a sudden surge in memberships. Hmm? Possibly. My sincere thanks to Butte County Sheriff Corey Honey for giving me an hour of his time, a very valuable time indeed. 
and honest conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. He and the county he serves have a very long way to go in the recovery process, but they will get to the finish line. And I hope to keep you posted on major milestones along the way. Hey, if you like listening to All Hazards, please subscribe at the place you get all of your podcasts, including this one. We thank you in advance. For everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, get your prep kits ready and have those emergency plans ready to go. Practice them too. I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.